tell legal lies. I tell legal lies. 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 Legal lies. I tell legal lies. And legal lies. And legal lies. And ban on drugs. Ban on drugs. And legal lies. On November 8, 1979, a black man allegedly entered an antique store on Whitney Avenue in Gretna, Louisiana. He allegedly grabbed the owner, a 39-year-old white woman from behind, in the empty store and raped her twice at gunpoint. The victim never clearly saw her attacker's face. In February 1980, Malcolm Alexander had a consensual sexual encounter with a white woman who asked him for money later, then accused him of sexual assault. Even though the woman's charges were unsubstantiated and no charges were ever filed against Alexander, authorities had his photo on file. That's all they needed. The Gretna police showed the antique store owner Alexander's picture and she tentatively identified him as her assailant out of hundreds of photos shown to her. Three days later, police placed Alexander in a lineup and by that time, the store owner was sure that he was the man who had attacked her. This was four months after she was attacked in the dark from behind at gunpoint. Alexander was the only man in the lineup whose picture had also been in the photo array. The trial lasted one day. Alexander's attorney, Joseph Tosh, failed to make an opening statement or call any witnesses for the defense and failed to adequately cross-examine the state's witnesses about the identification. Alexander was sentenced to life in prison on December 10th, 1980. Still, he never stopped insisting that he was innocent. Alexander reached out to the Innocence Project in 1996, and the organization quickly discovered that critical DNA evidence had been destroyed only four years into his sentence. Alexander's freedom felt like an impossible dream, but in 2013, there was a break in the case. Hair recovered from the antique store where the rape took place was found at the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office crime lab. The hairs belonged to neither Alexander nor the victim. This fact, along with Alexander's lack of competent counsel and the flawed identification procedure, was enough for Judge Darensburg to overturn his conviction. Malcolm Alexander was finally released from prison after serving 38 years. Isidore Roseman 58, was found dead in his jewelry store on November 5th, 1983, by Shreveport police who had been notified by acquaintance Dr. A.R. Abraham that the shop appeared to be in disarray. Roseman had been murdered with a single gunshot wound to the back of the head. Glenn Ford, Roseman's yard man, was known to be in the vicinity of the store at the time of the murder and identified by multiple people at the trial. An acquaintance of Ford testified that he had a thirty-eight pistol in his waistband the morning of the crime, the same caliber bullet found at the crime scene. P- police initially were unable to find any trace of the crime at Ford's residence. Ford was immediately taken into custody. Evidence was, however, found in Henry Robinson's possession as well as pawn shop receipts in Ford's name from the date of the murder. Mr. Ford, a black man, went on trial before an all-white jury in Shreveport in November of 1984. His two court-appointed attorneys did not specialize in criminal law and had never tried a case before a jury. 
Glenn was convicted by the all-white jury and sentenced to death. Glenn Ford served 29 years, three months, and five days in solitary confinement at the Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. In 2000, the Louisiana Supreme Court ordered a hearing on Ford's claim that the prosecution suppressed evidence that might have shown Jake and Henry Robinson to be responsible for the murder. The two were initially implicated in the crime. In 2013, an unidentified informant told prosecutors that Jake Robinson admitted to shooting and killing Roseman. This led to Ford's legal team filing a motion to vacate his conviction and sentence in March 2014, stating that credible evidence supporting a finding that Ford was neither present at nor a participant in the robbery and murder of Isidore Newman. State District Judge Ramon Emanuel overturned his conviction that same month. Ford is one of at least 150 people on death row in the United States who were later exonerated and released. Quick fact, Ford was also someone who served the longest on death row. Glenn Ford spent nearly three decades on Angola's death row for a murder he did not commit. He battled a terminal cancer diagnosis that, according to his federal lawsuit, went needlessly untreated by prison staff. And he challenged the state of Louisiana over his denial of wrongful conviction and imprisonment compensation. The 65-year-old exhausted donations that paid for medical care, not covered by Medicare and Medicaid. I'm miserable right now, Ford said in one of his last interviews. Grimacing in pain from a burning throat that limits his ability to eat and makes even a sip of water a struggle. Anything people can do is needed, and I appreciate every little penny. His attorney, William Most, said the state's rejection of Ford's compensation claim has put Ford in this position. It's no coincidence that Glenn is in the great need right now, said Most who represented Ford in two separate federal lawsuits against police, prosecutors, and prison officials. He was because then-Attorney General Buddy Caldwell decided to fight the compensation claim. Because they fought it and are presently still fighting it, Glenn was in that terrible position or terrible situation of receiving nothing for his 29 years in prison. Wow. Welcome back to another episode of Black Law and Legal Eyes, where we specialize today in exoneration. I am one of your hosts, Dan. I'm another one of your hosts, Afro Becky. And I be just Dan. Today, we have a reoccurring guest with us, Paul, as some of you may remember from the Fired Fighter episode. The Fuck Black Churches episode (laughs) and the What Should Be Legal and Illegal episode. I think that's called the Blue Blonic Plague. Yo, Paul, you with us? I am here. What's going on? You got a chance to hear the the two stories that uh, we handpicked as far as um, black men serving extended periods of time for crimes that they did not commit and... Getting, they got exonerated 20, 30, 40 years later. So uh, I wanted to ask you, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I will say 
over the last 30 years, the advancements in DNA uh, and forensics have definitely helped out quite a bit. Um, sadly, though, a lot of these people who spend decades in jail, um, many don't ever get out. They may get a, you know, posthumous pardon, um, which really helps no one, or, you know, they may get exonerated at some point, but the fact is when you lose 20 or 30 years of your life, you can't get that back. I mean, remember the movie uh, <laughs> The Hurricane with Denzel Washington? That's a real-life example of something similar. You know, you can't get those years back. Ruben Hurricane Carter. That dude was undefeated, too. He was a former fighter. You know what? I don't agree. Yes. I don't know if I, I agree with Paul's statement about DNA helping to what was the word you use? Quite a bit of people? Uh, quite a bit. I mean, it, it's had a, a, a pretty extensive track record, I would say, in, in solving or naming suspects and solving some cold cases. True. The only thing I don't agree, as far as your statement was concerned, with is with the quite a bit. Because there actually have not been as many people that have been exonerated due to DNA as there maybe should be. But... That's another story. So my thing with this is all of us, I'm sure when I say all of us, I speak for black men, have had encounters with authorities at some point or another. And honestly, if you're from an impoverished area, you probably had a run in with the authorities over some shit you didn't do. And I know quite a few people who've actually gone to jail for shit they didn't do, charged with shit they didn't do, pled to shit they didn't do. And the reason they plead is because of of this crazy amount of jail time that's over their head. So you might have someone like, uh, say, let's say I got a friend named Mike or something, right? Mike might be a known drug dealer, but when the police run up on him, he doesn't have any drugs on him. They arrest him anyway. He's a known drug dealer. They say he had drugs on him. Mike is going to have to plead to that because if not, he's facing five to 10 or he can do this 90 days take another another charge yeah lesser charge like possession with the intent to distribute now that's actually a real story and do 90 days in county lockup for that but he really didn't have to sit on him so i mean it's not uncommon at all for black men to be harassed arrested for shit they didn't do i just think it's a sad situation all in all to take someone's livelihood or at least a portion of their life away from from them and not care to get it as right as possible i can understand uh either prosecutors or defense defense attorneys may feel that you know oh here's another one you know i'm you know i'm gonna do the supposed best i can but this is just another minority that is in the system and they're always going to be in the system. For, for some, it, it, that may be the case. For, for others, it might be their first offense and they just happen to be harassed or get caught up in a, in a situation to where they get thrown in jail and the keys thrown away. Yeah, what she said. Now, um, we know as people of color that the system is rigged. It really is. And it's not rigged in our favor. And we've known that for a very long time. But as far as the exonerations go and the things that you can be exonerated for, you know, most of the people, like the people, two people that we highlighted and the research that we've done, when you talk about exoneration 
and DNA, there's only two crimes largely that DNA can be used to convict you. Rape, murder. murder. So you think about people who have been in jail for crimes that don't involve DNA. How do they get their shot at exoneration? I don't think you can. Other than maybe a, a, a late witness coming forward or, you know, a, a new evidence being presented. Right? New evidence being found, new eyewitnesses being found, um, malfeasance being actually discovered and brought before the court. But that's few and far between. I mean, how often does that type of thing happen? I mean, you already know the witness situation. Right. Exactly right. We so it's, before. it is honestly criminal what is done to these people. It really is. Let, let's take a look at these two cases real quick. And then I want to get into, as Paul mentioned, the DNA, genetics, geological Wait, that's genealogical. not genealogical. Yeah, geological dinosaurs. Yeah, geological and shit. survey. <laughs> so Malcolm Alexander, right? All right. So here's my. I got three questions. One is if it was known that the victim was approached from behind, didn't get a clear look at her attacker. How the hell could identifying Malcolm Alexander even be taken seriously? She told the police, "I didn't get a good look at dude. It was dark." Wait. Okay, so, but here's the situation. It was a white female and a black male. Mm-hmm. That's your answer. Paul? Oh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's funny to me. It's, that's, that seems like one of those cases, like, um, when it almost seems as though the prosecution will just take any little thing, run with it, and almost, you know, I guess, I don't know if the jury, if it was a trial by jury or if he pled out or what, whatever, but it seems like a lot of time in court people will ignore obvious um, instances where the evidence doesn't add up, but they'll just ignore it as if it's not an issue, which in actuality is probably the most important issue to establish in that person's guilt or innocence. Yeah, he blindfolded me before I could turn around, but that's the guy. Right, and then coupled with the fact, as I said earlier, this was a white female and a black male in Jefferson Parish, mm-hmm. which notoriously prejudicial against people of color yes and i live in jefferson parish um so why would the gretna police even have a reason to show the victim a picture of mr alexander because he was arrested on a non-related crime with a non-related person so why would they just take this random picture of a dude because it the wasn't, charges were dismissed against him in the other crime it wasn't non-related Even though the charges against him were dismissed, it was a sexual crime. So would they take a picture of every single person who's committed a sexual crime to this lady at this antique shop? Now, mind you, I do have sympathy for her if she was attacked and raped. However, why? It's like. Tell me. Tell me again why he was picked up, though. He had. uh, Now, it sounded to me in reading it like prostitution. He had sex with another white woman, right? Mm-hmm. Consensual. Right. The woman asked for money after the fact. He did right. not give her money, I so got she that. called the police. So why was he picked up on this one, though? Because she called the police and said he sexually assaulted her. But I thought this happened prior to the whole rape of the other chick. After. This happened after? Yes. Okay. All right. So that's where I was confused. All right. So that's why. So 
this happened after and how close in and how close proximity were these two that crimes I, I, I don't think supposed it's crimes so a lot of the times what police officers will do is people who have been charged or arrested in similar circumstances or similar for similar crimes within a certain window of when the crime that you're actually trying to solve happened, they get put in a, in a lineup or in a photo array. But then why would they take that to this shop, this shop owner who was raped? Why would well, they say, Hey, here's another nigga for you to look at. Was it him? No, this, and, and that's basically it because four months was the difference. Four months. Okay. So for within this four month window, he had been accused. And at that point, we don't know whether or not the case hit, the case was thrown out prior to this thing happening with it was. the shop owner. It was. it was. So it was dismissed, thrown out, but his information was still in. So that may be a that may have been a reason right there. Cause now I'm looking OJ all over again. Okay, you got away with this. So now I'm gonna throw you in the ring and see if I can make this stick. Becky? Well, my only um thought for you know why he might have been thrown in which i like ann's theory but um just because you didn't see his face doesn't mean that you couldn't see any other identifying characteristics about this person possibly a scar you know that's distinctive or a tattoo or some other part of the body that you know you could describe um that would uh make him stand out and a picture or a lineup or I mean I that's my only suggestion. Okay, so I'm gonna be conspiracy theorist Alex <laughs> Jones here right quick. <laughs> they were trying to burn this dude any way they could. Yeah. That's okay. Uh Paul, any theories on why they would just take a random picture of a guy who was arrested for something else to the shop owner who got raped? Yeah, I, I agree with, with you and Ann, you know it, it, it it seems like they were just trying to throw anything to make something stick. And we also will be, you know, ignorant to think that sometimes these detectives and these, you know, these people investigating these crimes don't try to sort of lead the victim on to choose a certain person. I mean, because let's face it, these people don't want their stats to show unsolved. You know, they'll do anything to get somebody locked up, to get somebody at least charged. Amen. Um, you know, and, and that's, that, that's what I get from it, too. It's like, why would you throw him in there? I mean, what's the point? And I think that's just a tactic. I mean, look, I hate to say this. I know uh, uh, Becky said this before. I'm a, a, a experienced person at watching TV. So, you know, I watch First 48. <laughs> and I see, you know, and I see that happen. I'm like, you know, where do they get some of these people's mugshots from? Mm-hmm. It, it seems as though they just pull them out of a hat randomly and just throw people in there. And, you know, and that's, if that's the case, what do the cops do if they pick someone else who they know isn't the person that they didn't expect the, the victim to pick? What do they do then? You know, <laughs> they try to lead them to pick the person that they want. You said you said that a little while ago. And that is a true tactic. Are you sure? Man, after she tentatively identified him by the photo, right? Wouldn't placing him in a lineup with other people that she has never seen photos of be that will right there. That's like a sure way to get her to ID 
this man. She has a prejudice. And it sounds like the police department has a prejudice. Because Absolutely. none of the pictures of the other, let's say it's a nine-person lineup, eight of these pictures she's never seen. Or eight of these people she's never seen pictures of. So, of course, you're going to point out the one that you saw a picture of. Absolutely right. That's fucked up. So, let, let's let enter Joseph Tosh. No <laughs> homo. <laughs> He failed to make an opening statement, failed to call any witnesses. He failed to adequately cross-examine the state's witnesses about the identification. He failed to make court appearances. He failed to file important documents, and he was subsequently disbarred in 1999. That was 20 years after Alexander's case for doing this dozens of times. So it had to have been apparent that he was just completely inept incapable, incompetent, and unqualified to represent anyone, let alone a man that's sitting there being charged with rape. And fighting for his life. Yeah. All right. He's like toying with people's lives, literally. Okay, so I just looked at some notes. This was 1979. 79. I need say no more, but I will. Think about it. The 60s, early 70s, even late 70s, early 80s. There was judicial apathy everywhere. Because your question was, why would the court allow him to do that? Why not? Explain judicial apathy. The court did not care about a black man's life. Society barely cared about a black man's life as a whole. So why would the court system care? Think about what was going on in the 60s and the 70s as far as black people and the United States. And then you're talking about a black man in the deep South. That was no way the court, the court was going to stand up and say, stop. This is a miscarriage of justice. This man is not being adequately represented. So never would have happened. We've actually seen this. And I guess it was about 2010 when Paul here had a lawyer of his own who missed deadlines, failed to adequately represent him. Uh, did she get disbarred, Paul? Um, from what I know, she's been um, reported to the D.C. bar multiple times. I heard rumors that she was disbarred, but I found out that wasn't true. Um, and it's funny you bring her up because I was just thinking about restarting my, uh, you know, my, my issue with her again. Um, a couple of years ago, I asked her to send me itemized list of the money she spent from my retainer fees on my case. And she asked me why do I want it and never sent it over. I kind of forgot about it, but um, I, I'm going to go back and email her again to get that email trail so I can get her saying no again and kind of uh, try to get her disbarred. But yeah, you're right, you know, about that issue with the bad lawyer. It seems like the only lawyer that could have been worse for this guy was the tax lawyer that uh, <laughs> represented Mike Tyson in his race, <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, even though it happened in the 70s, you know, any self-respecting judge who cares about his job in the law should identify that this lawyer is incompetent and probably recommended that a new lawyer, a new counsel be found. Uh, you know, that. Right. But it, it wasn't if sad. You think, sad, but true. It like was, you said, but think about during that time, it wasn't about the law. It, judges it, it were was, justice. Preju- I mean, they were they're people in the South. Too. Right. They're so, just they carry their own prejudices into the courtroom as well. And that's fucked up. So other than being disbarred, could and should this lawyer be required to serve prison time? Because think about it. This happened with 
Malcolm Alexander, right? Mm-hmm. Innocent. He served like damn near 30 years in jail, right? So he's done this dozens of times, according to what I can find. And that's what led him to be disbarred. Why is he not in prison? Because it's not criminal. How could it not be criminal? Because it's it's, it's negligent. It's not criminal. It's negligent. I think it should be. Well, let's change the law. <laughs> let's yeah. change. The, but that that's the reason why. It's, it's not criminal unless he did something to spoil evidence, which he didn't. You know, everything that he did, it was negligent. So, but can you be, can, okay. Isn't there something like to be willfully negligent, like are criminally negligent? Right. But as far as lawyers are concerned, the way you deal with them, as far as dereliction of duty is through disciplinary action. So you spank them. It's through disbarment. And then later as this client, who has actually done this disservice civilly. You can sue the lawyer for malpractice. But as far as, oh, you did this and that's a criminal act, didn't happen. So with Glenn Ford, right, let's uh, wrap this up with him. Um, The police were initially unable to find any evidence of the crime at Ford's residence. Ford was immediately taken into custody. But he Why? But he, he wasn't immediately taken. He, he wasn't only one. No, there were three of them. There were actually four, but one one they immediately like let him go. Two brothers, Glenn Ford, and somebody that my research did not name. So he was um, somebody special then. Yeah, they like they threw him out. You know, no. But why Glenn was targeted? I think because he was in proximity to everything. He was the handman for the person that that died. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, but in this my, case, is the nigga you know. My question is, they were unable to find any evidence of the crime. So why are they taking him in? Because eyewitness testimony placed him in the vicinity. Of course, he would have to be in the vicinity if he was the handyman mm-hmm. working for this man. But eyewitness testimony placed him in the vicinity at the time. Around the time of the crime is from what I read. It's my understanding. So that's why he was taken in. So the pawn shop receipts were found in one of his acquaintances, I guess, possession Mm -hmm. with Glenn Ford's name on them and the date of the murder. Other than making Glenn a suspect, what significance would those receipts have? Making him a suspect, making him place. He was he was there. Once again, in the vicinity. But let me read you something from some research that I had. Um, The evidence, the bulk of the evidence that was given against him was given by the girlfriend of one of his co-conspirators, right? And check this one out. The coroner testified that the fatal shot was fired by someone who was left-handed and Mr. Ford was left-handed. Okay. So he had the receipts from the pawn shop. He had the opportunity because he was, we know that he was around, of course, because he was the handyman and he was left-handed. So everybody that's left-handed, watch out, basically. So that's the only evidence they had. That's that's what they had. 
Ain't that some shit? Which to me is all kind of circumstantial. Right. Circumstantial evidence can put you in jail all the time. So on to my favorite part. And Paul actually had some questions about this himself. I'd like to title this um, this segment. Fuck you. Pay me. (laughs) So when Glenn got out after Uh serving 29 years, five months. Three days. Something like that in solitary. Right. Death on death row. How much money did the state pay him? Not a damn dime. Wait, wait, wait. Hold up. I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm lying. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I got this one. Because when I read this, I was burnt up all over again. Anyway, so this is how much money he receives from the state of Louisiana. So when he was let go, he was given a debit card that had a whole $20 on it. And he was allowed to keep the money that was left in his commissary, in his bank account. Shouldn't he have been? Yeah, you know how much it was, though? $18? Four cents. So $20.04 is what he walked out of prison with. So, Paul, uh, what were your questions as far as payments from the state for being locked up wrongfully for, like, 500 years? Yeah, I read some... um Articles and laws and, 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 you know, things about people being compensated for being incarcerated for long periods of time. And, you know, it's one of those things like everything that varies from state to state and as well as the federal government. Um, I read somewhere that the federal government can pay you up to $50,000 for every year you were wrong, you were in jail. Um, some states have a cap. Um, I think some states don't have a cap. I just read an article that says D.C. doesn't have a cap. Um so, you know, given that some states do have a cap, I've read, though, some people getting out after a few years were given, you know, five, six, seven, eight million dollars. And what what I'm trying to figure out is if you are wrongfully convicted, I mean, you know, you spend time in jail and your state does have a cap. Is there any roadblock to getting more than what that cap is? You know, is there anything else they can do to try to seek more money and damages? Well, as far as Louisiana, I can tell you about Louisiana. Louisiana is one of the states that have a cap, has a cap. And our our cap is $250,000. You you get basically $25,000 a year for 10 years. Then added to that, they they sweeten the pot with an extra $80,000. And that 80,000 is to pay for stuff like job training, medical expenses, things of that nature. Now, other than that, as you said, at the largesse of the legislature or the state, they can give you more money should they choose to. But as far as you actually suing for anything else, the only thing that I can think of that you can sue for that you may receive money for is if the prosecution committed malfeasance like they deliberately withheld evidence in this case they did didn't they in glenn ford's case no they did not deliberately withheld withhold evidence they suppressed they found evidence later on what what happened was in a different case an informant basically said The two, I think the names were Robertson, the brothers who had been arrested with Glenn Ford, that they confessed to shooting 
Roseman and that Ford had absolutely nothing to do with it. So that wasn't that wasn't suppressed. I don't think it was suppressed. That was something that knew that came to light after the fact. All right. Twenty five thousand dollars a year. Right. Mm -hmm. For every year up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So this dude was locked up for almost 30 years. 30 years. Mm How did he walk away with zero? Because the attorney general who you basically in order to get this money, you have to petition the court to get it. It's not automatic. You would think I'm exonerated. Give me a check. Let me roll today. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to file a petition for compensation and the attorney general either says, yay, I believe let's give it to him. Or the attorney general says, hell no, we ain't giving him nothing. And so basically there are different things that you have to prove. And what the prosecute, what the attorney general said was he did not prove that he was totally free from guilt of this crime. But he was exonerated. Okay. So wait, so this is what, hold up. This is what it says. So the judge after, all right. So the office of the Louisiana attorney general, who was Buddy Caldwell at the time, filed a petition to deny any claim by Mr. Ford, arguing that he was not factually innocent of any crime based upon the same set of facts. And that's one of the hurdles that you have to jump over in order to receive this compensation. So in March of 2015, a state judge ruled that Mr. Ford was not eligible for compensation, saying that even if he was not guilty of the murder, he did not have clean hands. So basically they are suggesting that he had something to do with it. He maybe helped them plan it or something because from something else that I'm remembering, I thought they found some of the items in his house, some of the items that were stolen from the pawn shop. I didn't read that, but what I can say is prove it. And that's the thing. It's like either he, they were saying that he tried to sell some of the stuff from the pawn shop or they found some of the stuff, but they were basically, the judge found that he didn't, he wasn't 100% innocent in all the surrounding facts. And retry his ass. So anyway, um, Paul had brought up some real good points about uh, DNA. And we kind of had a, a discussion prior to the show uh, about these sites like uh, Ancestry.com, mm-hmm. 23andMe, and the newest one out here, Find My Black roots.com and it's for people of color to trace themselves back to what regions of Africa they were from. Now, I haven't fully developed the site yet, but it will be a paid membership site. <laughs> oh um, 59.99 a year. Uh so Paul, let let's let's uh crack DNA in the head right quick. Hey, you know, first I got to give Anne some props to uh, what she took issue with in my first statement about quite a bit of people. <laughs> um, I, I see an article on CNN. And right. This is Do you see how many? From, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's only, uh, what, what's, what's the name of the group? The Innocence Project. Mm-hmm. CNN stated that since 19, in 23 years, mm-hmm. 2,000 wrongfully convicted people have been exonerated. Mm-hmm. But, but 
only 289 people have been exonerated for DNA evidence out of a prison population um, at the time of 2.3 million people. So Jesus I, would, I, I would say that point zero 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 one percent of people does not uh, constitute quite a bit quite of people. Bit, so and, and, Yes. I had to give you props. Yes. That, and that's what we, I knew that that was going to be brought up later on in the show, which is why I said nothing when, you know, I first made the comment, but I'm glad you saw that. Cause honestly, I was astounded because, you know, you see these things here quite regularly, you know, people walking out of jail. Thank you. Innocence project, this, that, and the other. So, you know, in my mind, it was like maybe every other month people are getting exonerated because of DNA testing, but we're talking nationwide. Mm-hmm. And I think by yeah, that's, that's t- the thing, man. Like you said, I, I always I always assume DNA helps someone get exonerated. Like like you said, we hear it all the time, right? And apparently, you know, most of the time it's, it's not DNA whatsoever. And that that was that was shocking to me when I looked that up. Right, and they, and your your stat, I think is old. I looked at the Innocence Projects uh, on their website. It's like 352. 351. Man, 352. 352. Go look on the website. I did. Here, I can show it to you right now. That's a piece of paper, not the website. I can show you the information, though. Great. It's dark. Whatever. All right. So, uh, Paul, check it out. How how do you feel about Ancestry.com and... um, the 23andMe's and the findmyblackroots.com, <laughs> which is still under development. How do you feel about these uh, sites where you swab your mouth, you send it in, and they send you back? Oh, you're, yeah, profile. You're part European. You're part African. You're part this. You're part that. You may have these medical um, medical susceptibilities. Right. Things, things of that nature. Well, you know, in recent days, there was a, a guy in California who was a serial killer and rapist from the 70s. They call him the, uh, Golden, like the State. Golden State. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the Golden State Killer or something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they used records from one of those sites. I think theirs was called Helix to find him. The funny thing is he never submitted anything. Mm-hmm. What they did was they compared, they, they created a, a fake name on Helix to have access to the community's uh, you know, posted DNA results because, you know, you have an option of posting them mm-hmm. on these websites. And they found a match to his uh, from some distant relatives and they just kind of, you know, worked backwards. Did the math and, yeah, mm-hmm. worked backwards mm-hmm. and found out who he was and got him that way. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm all into genealogy. You know, I know pretty much everywhere my side of my family came from on my father's side. And I considered doing this once until I read... Um, the fine print on on ancestry, and this is a while back. Now I'm, I'm gonna get into what they changed it to, but I saw that they mentioned that law enforcement agencies do have access to this, so that raised the red flag, you know, an alarm on me, and stated I'm, I'm not giving my DNA to somebody if they already, uh, you know, if they're willing to share this with law enforcement. Um, but you know, I bring that up because I, I did some more research into this and saw ancestry has been taking quite a a PR campaign out to assure people that they won't sell, they won't give your information over to insurance groups, third parties who want to buy it without your permission and consent. They stated you own your DNA results and we don't, you will delete it anytime you want us to. 
Uh, but, that, you know, that, there's a problem there because, one, Ancestry and 23andMe are some of the biggest out there, and they have access. They have this stuff on record. You, you can say delete it, but it's still somewhere, right? Um, this, also, the other part is they worded this pretty carefully, and they pretty much limited it to we won't share your information with third parties or insurance companies and anyone without your permission. Now, one thing is notably miss, missing from that, and it's law enforcement. law enforcement. So I kept reading. Right. I kept reading, and they stated that they will share um, your DNA results if there was a um, if there was any warrant. Warrant. Mm-hmm. And that right there pretty much confirms that they will share this stuff. Now, the thing is, though, like I stated, Ancestry is one of the biggest out there. That's their policy. You start getting to these newer, like you mentioned, these newer people that have these. You know, they haven't fully been started up yet or haven't been around very long. Just, yeah, findmyblackroots.com. They flashing your DNA all over the place. Any, yeah, any you, don't, you don't know what they're going to do. Right. They can do anything they want. Like, you have no idea what they may do. So I would just caution people, man. If, you wanna, if you're interested in this, you really better make sure you get in a fine print, you know, have a lawyer and say nobody's lucky like us you know we got ann right here to help <laughs> to help us out she helped me out multiple times i still but ain't got a will somebody to read that stuff you know yeah you know so you, you got to be careful man see, that stuff's risky the the thing is when i first uh heard about this whole dna thing i thought it was a conspiracy theory or at least saying okay well some some type of underground government entity is collecting all of this information so that they can you know categorize us and and you know or or um you thought big brother was actually yeah, big about brother to- <laughs> or either big big uh pharma could you know collect all this data and and synthesize it and make you know poisons to 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 target specific, target specific people. people and you know you know, that's kind of like, I remember that movie. Remember the movie, this is a sidebar, where uh, they shot the the um, bullet and the bullet like skipped different people because the tip of the bullet was coated with somebody's specific DNA. What movie was that? Y'all remember? remember. That? Anybody remember that movie? Mm, no. Never heard of it. No. It's a movie. It's a movie. It's it hasn't out. been written yet. It's called Find My Black <laughs> No, but, well, but, so but I actually, you know, I actually thought about, you know, that was more so the first thing that came to my mind. But see, another thing is my pa- both of my parents have have submitted their their DNA to this. They going to jail. So I'm like, if I ever do something criminal, they'll find you. You going gonna, to jail. I mean, and I didn't, you know, participate in this thing. So. Now, my father did too. When, so I'm, I'm definitely worried about the same thing. <laughs> when you say, uh, which was an ancestry that said that they'll delete your uh, DNA at your request? Yeah, that was ancestry's policy. So, check it. I work in the IT field, right? And I am here to tell you that there is no such thing as deleting data. Just here to tell y'all that. Even though. We delete it, you delete it, they delete it. It's always still there. It's recoverable. Everything. Well, and, and, you know, real quick, I'm just looking over something else in their policy. And it's funny you say that, uh, Dan, because I'm looking at Ancestry's informed consent policy. And they state that they're not going to give your stuff to anyone else to sell. But they also state that the employees of Ancestry DNA perform some of the research 
And then they state they work with researchers from other organizations and companies who share our purpose. And they say this may include academic institutions as well as nonprofit and for-profit businesses or government agencies. Third-party interest. Third-party entities. That's a lot of people that have access. (laughs) Right, who have access. But, you know, you think about it, and anybody ever want to read a good book about something like that? The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lack. Get it? It actually talks exactly about Becky's whole conspiracy theory. Somebody's DNA was taken. Somebody's cells were taken. And to this day, her cells are still alive and being used for medical research. I've heard of her. Yep. Unbeknownst to her. So they're going to clone her ass. I, look, I've heard her. Of her. Her her cells have been replicated trillions of times over and medical big pharma is actually making money off of this woman right now. And her family has not received a dime. That's just that's, you know, to Mm. piggyback off of what Becky said. I don't read, but I might have to get that shit on Audible. And speaking of Audible, if you do not have Audible for a free 30 day trial. Go to audible.com forward slash black law and check this book out. What was the book? The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lack. And it is on Audible. It's on Audible. So help us help you. We ain't asking you for no money. We asking you to sign up for a free trial so we can get a little commission. That's all. That's all. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, stay away from these DNA sites. Well, maybe not, because if a family member has already done it, I mean, what you got to lose at this point, because if you commit a crime, they can still now. All right. If you were a defense attorney. Right. Right. And let's say me and Paul killed this dude. Let's let's call him Paul Bunga. All right. Let's say (laughs) we killed him. Right. He did. So they create someone creates a fake account for one of these sites. Mm -hmm. Log in, sees the user shared data, finds one of our family members, tracks us down through this DNA if you were my defense attorney, how would you try to defend against that? I would probably make some sort of chain of custody or lack thereof defense. That That's the first thing, because we can't be sure how this DNA was tested. You know, even though they tell you that it's being done in sterile laboratories, X, Y, and Z, we, we don't know that. And we don't know about cross contamination. We don't we really don't know anything. How the sample was taken. Right. Mm-hmm. You, we don't we don't know anything. So that would probably be my first defense. My my second defense would probably be illegal search and seizure. That's you the know, first thing that come to my mind. Because I never gave you know, you didn't have a warrant and hmm. and you you did it through means that you should not have. I mean Social I that's what engineering. I engineering. <laughs> I would I would do that. So, all right. Now, back back to um I want to wrap it up with um again, black people being targeted, black men specifically being targeted, um arrested serving time for crimes they didn't commit, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, prior to 1992 in New York City, the Innocence Project was um created, right? Mm-hmm. Prior to then, there were no organizations, no nonprofits out here fighting for the lives of these individuals on death row or serving life in prison who were innocent. Because let's face it, the judicial system does not always get it right. And when they get it wrong, boy, do they get it, they wrong. Get it wrong. So, so how many people do we think 
now and just kind of go around the room, uh, starting with Paul. How many people do we think are laying in graves now that were innocent, but they were killed for crimes that they did not commit? Oh, man, I, it's got to be thousands, tens of thousands. If you, especially if you want to go back to the 20s, 30s, mm-hmm. 40s, 50s, 60s, when they would just slap a black face on any mm-hmm. potential suspect and then throw away the key and, and never give them any appeals or due, due process. It's got to be in the tens of thousands. And that's, I think that may be conservative. Conservative. I'm with you on that one, Paul. I'd go with probably a couple hundred thousand. Yep. And I'm I'm going back to shit as far back as we can go. But uh, so, Becky? Well, I actually was thinking, like, this might be even out of proportion, but I think it's actually millions considering the... the um, size of the prison population now and that America is one of the most um, incarcerated uh, mm-hmm. countries in the world. Yep. So, and another thing I was thinking while I was writing is just on a psychological front, right? Can you imagine being 100% innocent? Let's say you're arrested for a murder, you're thrown in jail and your first, your first instinct is going to be, Shit, I ain't do this shit, so I know I'm going to get off. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't get off, and you get sentenced to death. Your second thing is probably, shit, I'm going to appeal this because they got it wrong. You lose your appeal. So can you imagine being this innocent person being sentenced to death and just the time on death row because it's not like you're going to be immediately executed? Right, because Glenn Ford spent 30 years on death row. Right. And then imagine, put yourself in a position of someone walking from their cell, walking the green mile, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You are walking to the electric chair or to the um, lethal injection site, and you are about to be killed for something you, know you did you not do. Mm-hmm. How, how do you think that would affect you personally, psychologically, Becky? Oh, I'd, pro- I'd probably have lost it with the first thing. <laughs> like... You- I I don't think that I would want to pursue any even any kind of appeal. I I would just give up. Depression. And I'm a fighter from way back and I make all kind of noise on a daily basis, so I'm sure that I'd be making noise then, but my initial reaction would probably be like Becky's because when you know that you know that you know that you have done absolutely nothing wrong, but you're in jail. The very first thing you want to do is cry. But after you do that and you brush yourself off, you fight. I mean, all these people, these 352 people who knew that they were innocent and were consequently or subsequently exonerated, they fought. So fight. and But at the point where you fight, fought and you fought and that last appeal has been denied and you've done everything that you can pray paul man i i'd have to you know i would never stop fighting i would always hope you know i mean when you're in there man what else do you have if you don't have any hope then you know it it seems like that'll make you stay even worse before (laughs) before you get executed you know you gotta fight you gotta keep fighting keep fighting um you know stories of people with appeals that last 10, 15 years sometimes. And 
you know, hey, maybe you'll get lucky. Maybe while you're appealing, your state will abolish the death penalty and you'll end up getting life in prison instead. And then you'll get that $250,000 if you get exonerated. But my, I think mentally, I'm not sure how I would handle that mentally. I, I would probably be, I don't think depression, I think depression will come after time, time served. I think I would be enraged and everyone's my enemy. Attorneys, I don't care if you're trying to help me or not. You my enemy. You part of the reason why I'm here. Judges, everyone. You my enemy. These CEOs, you my enemy. Y'all niggas that's locked up with me. Y'all my enemies because y'all niggas did this shit. So I'd probably be on some Tupac, fuck the world, fuck everyone shit. Chances are I'd probably off myself if I lost my last appeal because I'm not going to give you the pleasure of taking my life for something I didn't do. I'd rather take my own life for something that I stand for, even though that don't sound right. But like homeboy said in Black Panther. Take me back on the boat. <laughs> nah, like homeboy said on Black Panther. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather jump overboard and rest in the bottom of the sea with my ancestors than to be enslaved here. So I'm not going to give you the pleasure of taking my life. I'll do it myself. I will Aaron Hernandez that shit. And it sounds morbid, but it's probably the truth because I'm not going to let someone walk me to my death. Just ain't going to happen. I feel that. So ask an attorney, 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 attorney. Emily in Murfreesboro. I don't even know where that's at. I was it's about in, to say. What? It's in Tennessee. Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, ten, Tennessee. Murfreesboro. Um, yes. Okay. If me and my wife, Emily's a woman, so uh, her wife, so I guess it's a gay marriage, gay couple. Wait, why got to be a gay marriage? Because it's a, it's a that's, marriage. that's what, but they're, that's part of the question. They're homosexuals. <laughs> um, They... They adopted a child mm-hmm. and they're getting divorced. Who keeps the child? It would be the same as if they, it, it's a heterosexual couple with a child. You, it, It's the same situation as if this was a heterosexual couple with a child. I think we actually discussed this way back. What, what's her name? Emily? Emily. Yeah. Emily needs to... Go back and and listen to transgender. I think it was transmission. Transmission. Yeah, we we spoke about some of this stuff because the law has not caught up with same sex marriages. But if you both adopted this child, then you both are the parents. So as with any other divorcing couple, you would go to court and let the court decide who would be domiciliary parent. If you would have joint legal and physical custody, the court will work that out. Now, if on the other hand, because I do not know Emily's situation. I do. You are, you all got married and only one of you adopted this child. Or if, one of you had this child and you were actually the only parent listed on the birth certificate, then that's a different situation. So Emily, there you have it. Your answer is go back and listen to transmission. A lot of good info there. So we've been shouting out other podcasts of color every week, or we've been trying to people that we listen to 
So this week's shout out is going to my homegirl from North Carolina. Up there with you, Paul. Model E and Friends on the E and Friends podcast. Check her out. You can follow her on Twitter. Erica Jones with a Z. I hope I'm right. If I'm wrong, <laughs> Erica, uh, just tag yourself because I don't have Twitter open right now. But, yo, her, her husband, her friends, they clown around about some of the hottest topics. Funny, funny people, dope people. And I also got the term bum lock, which I call loose women uh, from Model Lee and Friends podcast. Bum lock? Bum lock. That means your dick don't fit no more. Oh. Um, yeah. Someone else broke the pussy. Uh, huh? Go, go check out Model Lee and Friends. That wraps up another episode of Black Law and Legalize. You can follow the show on Twitter at Black Law Podcast. You can email us, blacklawpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me personally at I am Dan on Drugs. And you can follow Just Dan at I Tell Legal Lies. And you can follow Paul over at The Boxing Critics. Huh? Yo, Paul. Yes, sir. This is I where you, you, this is where I you, thought you, you were going to say it. Nah, <laughs> this is where you say it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it. I was waiting like, oh, then it got too long of the pause. <laughs> so I just said, let me just keep on being quiet. Today, <laughs> so where, where can yeah. they follow you, Paul? You can follow me at the Boxing Critic on Instagram. That is TBC. And the name is the Boxing Critic. And also on Twitter, the Boxing Critics TBC. Paul and I have a podcast where we talk boxing. And for any of you boxing fans out there, check it out because we actually fight, strapped up the hands, throw the gloves on, and we get busy. Mm-hmm. Or we used to at least. Now we old. So we just sit <laughs> around and talk about the shit. But check it out. And I think the first episode is going to be about the Lomachenko versus... Linares. Fight. Jorge Linares. Jorge. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, peace out, people. Laters.